welcome to this service. I'm Leland, one of the uh, speakers who occasionally gets an opportunity for this privilege, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we're in a very meaningful, exciting series, and uh, I have been given the opportunity to speak on Jesus who reconciles. So, you don't have to be an adult to know that sin is real and needs to be dealt with. I remember when I was eight years old, a, an evangelist came through the town of Wadena, Saskatchewan uh, for a week-long series of meetings. If we scheduled such a thing as that here in this church, my guess is that we would have a high of 18 and a low of six attending every weeknight. But in, in that setting at that time, it was a welcome break for us kids from what was kind of a boring set of evenings when there was no television and all of the good programs on radio for kids was over by 6.30. And so uh, we got to go to town and people were excited. The adults were upbeat. There was good music in the church and uh, we gathered. <clears throat> well, I remember the evangelist who gave an invitation for, for the forgiveness of sins and receiving Christ as your personal savior. And uh, I knew that I needed Jesus. Uh, it wasn't that the sins that I was dealing with were, you know, stealing or murder or any such thing as that. But I knew that I had thoughts and actions that were just not right. I, I, had, uh, I sometimes disobeyed my parents. I know that's shocking to you, but I actually did. I, yes, thank you for that. Uh, I hate to make a believer out of you that I'm as bad as I really am, but uh, I, I sometimes sassed my mom, and I didn't treat my si sister the way I should. And, and, you know, I didn't quite understand why I did those things, because I had wonderful parents, and my sister was really quite good, as sisters go, I thought. And, and, and so uh, when I was there, I had this sense when he gave the invitation that I needed to go and get cleaned up on the inside. So I went forward, and, and some, an adult said a prayer and said, you can repeat this prayer after me a sentence at a time, which I did. And I meant every sentence. It was a good prayer. And when it was over, I had this enormous sense of inside peace. I, I was freer. I didn't feel shame anymore. I didn't feel guilt anymore. I, something really good had happened, and on the way home, I thought my sister had improved a whole lot from before the service, and, and, and so I, I was experiencing the benefit of being reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. An eight-year-old knows that something needs attention when it comes to spiritual well-being. So this morning, I want to speak to you about Jesus the Reconciler and how he provides hope and reconciliation for both the sins that we commit and the sins that we suffer. There are very different kinds of categories, but let me walk you through, first of all, the sins that we commit. In the Bible, there are several words for sin, but the most frequent one comes from the world of archery. It means missing the mark. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the word there is hamartia, which says, For all of us have missed the mark for which we were created, the purpose of our lives, 
living the way God intended us to live, the life that he offers for us to live, we miss the mark. And so it's a very instructive word for what sin is. Another word for sin is transgression. Transgression has to do with breaking God's law. The Ten Commandments are an amazing codification of God's will for his people. Uh, written thousands of years ago, they're still very relevant today. One of those commands, I mean, the first four are about our relationship with God, and the last six are about our relationship with each other. And one of the, the, the six says, you will not bear false witness. You will not lie. Now, that's a, a, a really important command. So think with me about just one of the commands for just a few moments. When uh, I, I checked out, I googled lies and found an article by National Geographic who had a survey that you can take to tell you whether you lie more or less than the average person. And that survey said that actually most lies are done by a, a minority, like 40%. 60% of the people said that they never told lies. And then they segmented out that 60% and asked another question. Have you lied this last week? And 92% of them said yes. So it's really difficult to find out if you lie more or less than the average person because people lie about how much they lie. So... We have to go someplace else. God doesn't really care about grading us on the average, does he? He says, I want you to tell the truth. I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no and for you to have integrity. The New Testament care tells this amazing story of the early church where generosity was the hallmark and people sold property and brought the proceeds to the church so that they could take care of the poor and the widows and the needy. And one of the uh, people is mentioned as Barnabas. He sold a piece of land and brought the money to the church, and it was used for those purposes. And a couple sold a piece of property, Ananias and Sapphira, and they brought money to the church. The problem was they gave the impression that they were giving all of the proceeds of selling the land to the church, when in fact they kept some of it back for themselves. Now, that is a kind of subtle lie, isn't it? It is giving the impression that we are better than we are. We say it's being a hypocrite. And when Ananias came to give the proceeds to Peter, Peter confronted him and said, Ananias, you have not sinned against, you've sinned against the Holy Spirit. And immediately, Ananias' life was, was gone. Three days later, Sapphira came, and Peter told her the same thing, and she immediately died. And we might say, boy, that's, that's severe. But think about what was at stake in the early church. Think about whether lies were tolerated, hypocrisy was tolerated, giving the wrong impression, pretending that we're better than we are was tolerated. I mean... What if, what if the witnesses to the resurrection were guilty of lying? What if the trust in the early church was all broken because there was so much dishonesty? 
And, and God made it very clear that he wanted his church to be different than the normal kind of gathering of human beings where lying and giving the impression that you're better than you are might be the going way of living within that community. And so we come to this business of truth-telling and God's law and breaking his commands. And that's just one command. So every time we break one of the, the laws of God and we transgress, we increase the degree to which we miss the mark. We might be like the arrow that is shot fast and long and penetrates a target deeply, but it's not the right target. It's not what was being aimed at. And you and I can live our lives in such a way that we increasingly miss the mark of our calling, of what we were created to be, to be the best person that God intends for us to be. So the sin of transgression is serious. And Jesus came to help deal with the biggest problem of that sin, and that is that God cannot look upon sin. He is holy and separate. And, and God is angry at the destruction of his prized creation so his wrath is present. And Jesus came to take alienated people who were subject to God's anger and brings them into a place where they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Look at what Romans chapter 5 says, and uh, we'll have it on the screen. Since we have now been justified by his blood... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is one of the most beautiful passages in all the New Testament about reconciliation. We were, in, we were in enmity with God, and now we have been brought close through Jesus Christ. And if you want to know just how that happens, look at what Corinthians tells us about that. It's a simple statement. <clears throat> it says, God made him, that is Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus, who had no sin, bore in himself the sins of the whole world for all time, your sin and my sin. Jesus suffered and died for our sins so that in him we might become... So our sins were transferred to Jesus... And his sinlessness and his righteousness is now transferred to us so that we can be in God's presence, viewed not as being transgressors who have not repented, not as being people who have missed the mark, but we are welcomed <clears throat> through Jesus Christ into God's presence to be his sons and his daughters reconciled and made to be the people God has created us to be. It is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done, and uh, 
we have reason today to rejoice in the provision of Jesus Christ. The heart of reconciliation is described in those passages of Scripture. So when we trust in the death and resurrection of Christ, reconciliation begins. We have just been watching reviews of Billy Graham's life uh, on all the major networks. And what has been amazing to me this time as his life has been talked about is not only was he a gifted communicator who spoke to more people than any other single evangelist that we know of, but he was clear in his convictions and over and over again told the clear story of, of God's love. He said, that's what I do as an evangelist. I tell people that God loves them and that they can be right with God. And when we trust in Christ and receive that gift, we are made right with God and reconciliation begins. Now I say that because reconciliation is a relationship with God. And like every relationship, it has a beginning and then it grows. So the decision that you and I have to trust in Christ for salvation is the beginning then of a lifetime of growing in fellowship with God. So that's about the sins that we commit. What about the sins that we suffer? Everybody in this room has suffered from somebody else's sins in one way or another. Somebody made a promise to you and they didn't keep it. And you feel let down. Or if, if the promise was by your father and he promised you a new bike at such and such a time, and when the time came you didn't get the new bike and there was no explanation given, and when you asked about it, <coughs> excuse me, you were criticized by your dad, then that broken promise is big. It feels like you've been betrayed. Someone breaks into your house and steals your property, and you feel violated. Or someone broke a confidence. You told them something personal and sacred to you. And then instead of keeping that confidence, they talked about it to other people. And now what was very private is being talked about by other people, and you feel demeaned and ashamed. Over the years, I've heard many heart-wrenching stories of suffering and abuse. I attended a conference one time that was designed to create harmony between, uh, oh, aren't you kind? Thank you. We're reconciled. So it was a conference designed to bring reconciliation between uh, African-American Christians and Caucasian Christians. I was sitting at a small table. Across the table was a well-dressed African-American who was an attorney. He was well off. He drove a luxurious car and wore a beautiful suit. In our conversation, oh my, well, we'll hope it'll be okay. Pretend you didn't see that. No, no, don't pretend. You saw it, and so did I, and I put it in the wrong place. I'm culpable. I'm sure I broke some kind of law. Well, okay, so the attorney was sitting across, and I, I was attracted to him. He was a good conversationalist. He was, a tr he was bright, and, and then he talked about the number of times that he had been stopped by a policeman for no other apparent reason than the color of his skin. 
and the skepticism that the policeman had that anybody of his color could drive a car like that and not have done something wrong. What I've learned from talking to African Americans is that they never know when there are going to be random acts of hatred committed against them at the most inopportune time. Racism is a sin which, when we suffer it, is deep and difficult. I remember the tears of a young man that I talked to. He was attending Bethel Seminary, and when we had completed a couple of years of conversations and he was doing so much better, I asked him if I could tell a story. He said, you can if it's helpful. Well, he grew up as, as the only son of a single mom, single parent, his mom. His father had left when he was four or five years old, and his mom was not mentally stable. She was not well, and she wanted time for herself and didn't want time with him. And so a vivid scene stays with me. It was at near Christmas time, and she wanted him to not bother her. And so she said, you know, go and watch for the mailman because there's a gift coming, and it's your Christmas gift. And if it comes, and when it comes, you can open it right then. So he spent many days standing on the sofa, watching the mailman, <coughs> and waiting for him to come. And then he went to the writing desk one day to look for something, and there he saw the order form for the gift that he was supposed to receive. And his mom had not sent it. And it was one of multiple examples of her lying to him. And he grew up in a home where he didn't know what he could trust or when he could trust it. Now, that's psychological and emotional abuse. She may not have intended it, but the child certainly experienced it. Or the Me Too movement There's a part of our culture right now in which thousands of women are saying, we have been, we've been assaulted by people in positions of power over us for sexual reasons. And when I heard that story, I remembered what it was like at Whittier when Carol and I were the pastor and wife for a dozen years, women from our church attended a retreat where a woman speaker was talking about sexual abuse. She said, you can come and talk to me if you wish. And her door was right in the corner of a building, and one of our ladies walked one side, and then another walked the other side, and when they got to the door, they were both there for the same reason. You too, yes. So they went in together and talked. And they talked about what can you do to provide healing and hope for women who are carrying a secret like this and need a place that's safe where they can talk about it. And they decided to start a small group. They called it SMILES, and an acronym for Sexually Molested Individuals Lending Earnest Support. And you had to sign up for it. There was a limit, only 12 in a group. And they had a waiting list, so they started a second group. And we had professionals with those groups so that there could be resources if needed. And over the course of the next four years, literally hundreds of women went through that process and found hope and healing for what otherwise had been plaguing them all of their memory from the incident itself. I preached a sermon 
on the Lord's Prayer and talked about God as our Heavenly Father at the end of that four-year period of time. And one of the women who had been one of those groups came to me and said, today is the first day I've ever heard a preacher name God as the Heavenly Father where I could feel warm feelings of trust toward God as my Heavenly Father. Healing had taken place. A breakthrough was hugely important. So if you have experienced any of the kinds of abuse that I have mentioned or others as well, my heart goes out to you. I think suffering the sins from other people is one of the most complicated processes to work through. So here is some help. When Isaiah describes the suffering Messiah, he said, and we believe this refers to Jesus, Jesus was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now notice the words that are used there. He was pierced for our transgressions, referring to the sins that we commit. And by his wounds we are healed the sins that we suffer. There's a solution there. So, when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ in this Lenten season, there are a number of characteristics that Jesus experienced on the cross that are very relevant. So, as we go through the list, I want you to notice the words that have been highlighted that are in bold print, and notice how they describe in some detail what people who have gone through different kinds of abuse have experienced. So, Jesus experienced injustice and was tried and sentenced by unjust courts. He was mocked and ridiculed. If if you're the Son of God, save yourself, they shouted. He was shamed by the very act of crucifixion, which was done by highways so that all passers-by could see these cursed people dying. His disciples abandoned him. He was left alone. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. There's more. Jesus experienced spiritual abandonment and cried out, Why have you forsaken me? He experienced excruciating pain. Death by crucifixion was the most painful death invented to punish criminals. His request, I thirst, was met with a vinegar wine drink, which would have hindered his goal by numbing his pain, and he he set it aside. He wouldn't drink it. It was like he was saying, I will enter into the suffering on behalf of humankind with all of my mind and heart and capacities, understanding it fully and experiencing it fully. His rights were denied. The voice of Logos, which means word, the voice of the word of God was silenced. And all of those describe what abuse is like when we suffer other people's sins. So what relevance does that have? Well, number one, God is neither distant nor removed from our circumstance. He suffered the worst abuse imaginable. 
I have not gone into detail at all about what crucifixion was all about, but if, if you feel brave sometime, Google what crucifixion, death by crucifixion entailed. It is incredible. So the cross sheds light into the darkness of abuse and shows us that Jesus knows all the dangers that abused people go through. People who are abused often conclude, I am worthless or despicable. I might as well give up. And through the cross, Jesus' voice comes and says, you are not worthless or despicable. You are loved and you are cherished. You are one of the people for whom I died. I love you with my deepest love. The cross reminds us that what looked like hopelessness on Friday was turned into victory on Sunday. And that leads us to a second truth about the cross, and that is we've been talking about a cross that Jesus hung on, but it's really now for us an empty cross because Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is here today with his hand outreached, saying, if you take my hand, I will walk through your abusive experiences with you, and by my stripes, by my punishment, you will be healed. The medication that flows from Christ's death and resurrection gives hope again to find our purpose and our voice. God's love is so extravagant, so costly, so wonderful that it jolts us out of our sin-laden stupor and brings us into a new reality. There is a God who loves us and wants to have fellowship with us. And that's what Jesus did. He brought about that reconciliation. Now, as I prepared this message and, and interacted with the staff, I learned that our new director of children's ministries, Sharon uh, Rundell, has a story that you would all love to hear. So Sharon, where are you? Would you come right now, please? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Thank you for letting me be up here. I love to hear stories of faith from people. When I get to know you, I'll probably ask you, how did you come to know Jesus? And I was doing that kind of uh, learning with our staff the other day, and um, I heard some faith stories from the staff, and they said, well, what is yours? And so I told them my faith story, and that's how I ended up here on the stage. Um, my earliest memory as a little bitty kid is um, a memory from being in the middle of the night, awakened, and seeing my unconscious mother being carried out to the car to go to the hospital by my father. Uh, my mom was an alcoholic, and she was a diabetic, and those two things do not go well together. Um, so it created a home life for me as a little child that was very unstable. I was a child that felt fearful, insecure, and abandoned most of the time. Um, 
my parents divorced when I was seven, and my mother and I moved far, far away. Um, and in the part of moving away, I also lost a lot of contact with my dad. Um, he didn't really spend time or make the effort to um, communicate with me, so there weren't any birthday gifts or cards or things like that. So that furthered my feeling of abandonment. Um, when I was about 10 years old, um, my mother had uh, started drinking again in earnest in uh, just a really heavy drinking manner. Um, and so it started making her really, really sick with her diabetes. Um, so one night she said, Sharon, I'm going to get sick. And when I get sick, I'm going to, you just call this number and um, it's Pastor Harvey's number. He'll come help you. So we were um, churchgoers on Christmas and Easter, not really, really uh, churchgoers, but we occasionally attended as society kind of that's the way we did. Um, so in the middle of the night, she did get very, very sick and started to lose consciousness. And I called that number and, and said, I need you to come help. My mom is very sick. So um, Pastor Harvey and his wife came over. Um, they called an ambulance. And um, my mom was being carried out in a gurney. And Pastor Harvey took me aside and got down on my level. And he looked me in the eye and he said, don't ever call me again. So then, that made me feel that God didn't want me. My dad didn't want me. And this man that represents God is saying, God doesn't want me. So that kind of shut off a whole area of my life. Uh, my mom remarried. We moved far away. She married a man who was very, very kind. Um, he was an immigrant from Latvia. And we moved from New Mexico to Chicago. And... Um, he was unaware of the fact that diabetics shouldn't drink. He was also unaware of the fact that my mom was an alcoholic. You know, she didn't ever admit to that. So it wasn't very long into their marriage that the heavy drinking really started. It was really social. Um, and one day or night, my mom had had so much to drink that she went into a coma and she never recovered. I was feeling still. I'm a little girl. I'm insecure. I'm frightened. Um, children don't have any control over their circumstances. They are just part of whatever the adults in their life put them in. Um, so I called my dad and said, Dad, can I come live with you? He said, I'll have to call you back. He did call me back and said, yes, you can come move in with us. Um, and that was a blessing. They didn't really want me. Um, I had heard them in the night talking about sending me off to boarding school. Um, I, at that point, tried to make myself indispensable so that I would be wanted and needed at mm. the house. Mm. Um, but one thing that did happen that was really, really good was they took me to a crusade. Um, it was in a huge, huge uh, auditorium. And it was not from somebody that you guys would know, somebody back in the way back days. Um, but we went to a crusade, and we were sitting way up in the seats, um, really, really far. Um, but for the very first time, I heard an altar call, kind mm -hmm. of like you did. And um, I was 
still frightened and insecure and um, fearful and, and felt abandoned. And when that preacher said, you know, just come down, you can pray this prayer, and then Jesus will be a part of your life, I was too scared to do that. Plus, we were really far away, and I was little, and I didn't know if my dad and his wife would even let me go or if they would laugh at me. So as a little girl, way up in those nosebleed seats, in my heart, I didn't even say the words out loud, but I whispered the prayer after the preacher. And in that moment, as soon as I whispered it, Jesus was there. It was like he'd been there standing beside me the whole time. And I was like, oh, you're here. I knew you. And he was more real to me than any other person that walked the earth at that time. And he still is. Um, he was just so present. He took care of me. My fear at that moment went away. Mm. Um, my life didn't change, uh, but my circumstances inside changed. So my, my home life was still kind of pitiful, but I no longer felt abandoned, and I no longer felt fearful. That's one of the reasons that I have such a heart for kids is because I know what it's like to be on that side, and I want all of the children to feel loved and to know Jesus in that way. Um, so I made a personal decision in my own life after having that kind of a childhood not to allow bitterness to take away, take away the gift of joy that I had received when I had come to know Jesus. Bitterness and unforgiveness is like carrying a stone in your shoe. Um, if I had walked with that stone for a while, it would have made me have a limp. And that wasn't going to be good for me. And bitterness wasn't going to affect anyone but me. I recognize that Jesus died for me and the sins that I have committed. But he also died for the sins committed against me. Um, and the joy and the peace that I found in Jesus is only possible because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. So that's my story. Wow. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, in your worship folder, if you received one, there is a folded half sheet, and I'd like you to take a look at that right now, because part of what both of us have talked about is a specific time of making a decision to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and so I tried to write some prayers that might be helpful for any of you here today. And the first one has to do with, with the people who have suffered from other people's sins. And so it says, Dear God, you know how hard it has been for me to trust you. I have not understood why you didn't rescue me when I was under attack. But how you suffered and died for me on the cross opens another pathway of understanding you have suffered more than I can comprehend in order to demonstrate your love and to offer healing for my wounds. I ask for your healing. Please forgive me and for turning away from you. I want you to be my savior. Or for those who have been spared that and transgression and missing the mark is the hallmark. Here's another prayer. Dear God, you know how I have gone my own way. I am like that arrow shot long and far with amazing speed, but missing its intended target. I have missed the target for my life to know you, to serve you, and to fellowship with you. Please forgive me. Heal the wounds of my own heart caused by my rejection of your love. 
please become my savior. And then for anybody, anywhere, thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus, through whose death and resurrection the sin barrier has been removed. The way is open to start a new life with you. I ask you, Jesus, to be my savior and the leader of my life. Holy Spirit of God, I want to learn to follow you in every aspect of my life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I accept the promise of your constant presence until the day that I will live. with you forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Thank you for saving me. I love you. Now, if those prayers help you to make a decision to receive the loving care and forgiveness of Christ, you can sign it. It's a, it's a place for you to sign and fold it and take it with you and put it wherever you want, maybe in your Bible, but in a folder for your spiritual autobiography because there is nothing as important in life that keep us from missing the mark than to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. Think about that as we sing and pray and in just a little while we'll participate in the Lord's table. If uh, if you're a follower of Christ today, we invite you to participate. Come down. These are gluten-free pieces of uh, bread, and you dip it in the cup, and then take it as you, uh, as you leave uh, from the place where you have been served. I want you to go with this uh, invitation from Jesus ringing in your ears. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Be assured, Jesus said it, it's true. Go in peace.